I too would like to extend Christian greetings to each one here this morning. And I trust that as we open the scriptures this morning to look into it, that we could experience the power of the gospel. This morning's topic was um, chosen by me because of an experience that I had a few a um, few weeks or a month ago or so. I was reading in Romans chapter 5, and I was reading in verses 3 and 4 in the beginning of the chapter there where he says, he speaks of glorying in tribulation. And then that leads on to a few more things. The glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience, experience, and experience hope. I feel a little bit like Eric expressed himself last Sunday morning, um, speaking on a topic that's an extension of what we discussed in Sunday school this morning already, but I trust that God had, can show us something this morning to help us, to strengthen us as we walk this walk in life. I think the reason that that part of Romans chapter 5 stood out to me like it did, I realized how far short I fall from having come to the place where I can glory in tribulation. We're going to go back, I'll come back to that later, we're going to go back a chapter to Romans chapter 4, I'm going to read this chapter and, and um, bring out a few thoughts. It touches on Abraham and his faith. Paul here is speaking to the Romans and explaining Abraham and his faith. So we'll read Romans chapter 4 at this point. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputed righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression." Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. 
As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification." Now, I'm looking at Abraham's faith here as a lead up to what we want to talk about in the beginning of chapter 5. But in the beginning of chapter 4 there, in the first five verses there, we have the work versus faith. Paul makes it plain that Abraham was justified by his faith. The fact that he believed in God, that God was who he, that God was, who he was. And we know Abraham, we can go back and we can read about Abraham, we can read how he had his problems. He did, there was things in life that he did that weren't right, that he had to make right. He was a very wealthy man, and he, um, he sometimes got ahead of God, but he believed God, and because of, of that belief, he was counted right for righteousness. That was counted for righteousness. In verse 3, it asks the question, For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness, because he believed in God. Verses 6 through 8 speaks is David's description of the blessedness of the, for, of the forgiven man. It's David here. He's describing in verse 6 the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputed righteousness without works. I think we all understand what it feels like to be given something. I think that is, if we are given something that we don't deserve, it makes an impression on us. We remember those things. That's what David was speaking of here. Verse 7, blessed are those they whose iniquities are forgiven. And then he goes into verses 9 through 12. He speaks of the circumcision of Abraham and him being the father of that where, where that all started and the faith and how faith worked in, in, in that. Verses 13 through 21, the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. There again, he's, just, he, he's kind of going over the same thing again. It didn't come because of the law, but it came because he believed in God. In verse 20, 21, we have the definition of faith. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And that's the question I have for us this morning. We know, we look in the scriptures, and we'll be looking at some of those promises that Jesus gave in, in a time when he was here for us today, that Abraham would not necessarily have had then, but in the era that we live in, Jesus gave us many promises. Are we fully persuaded? Do we live our lives in a way that we believe those promises? And then verse 20, 22 to 24, who is this for? Who are these promises for? He just touches on it again, that it was imputed to Abraham for righteousness, but not his sake alone was it imputed to him. It is also for, her, for us. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. 
who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. If we have that faith, then we'll live our then that will make a difference on how on how we, we live our lives. And we go into chapter five. I'm going to read the first five verses of chapter five. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. I'm going to read those first five verses in the ESV. It's a a different translation. It, It puts it just a little bit differently. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I'd like to look at the chain, if you will, in between having faith and hope. I think that these links, the link of glory and tribulation, which brings patience and that brings experience. And try to get a grasp on what that means in our lives today. The idea of glorying in tribulation, or another way we could put that, is joy in suffering. Different words, synonyms for the word tribulation is suffering, distress, pressure, and trouble. Now, I think what that meant for Paul and the early church was something different than what it means for us today. But to get an idea of what Paul was speaking of here and what, what it meant for him, turn with me to Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where we have the list of Paul's hardships that he went through. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'll be reading verses 16 through 33. I say again, let no man think me a fool, if otherwise yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. Paul realized what he was doing here. He was taking some time out here, and he was going to speak about himself, and he realized the folly in that. He was just putting that out there. That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as if, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting. Seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. For ye suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourselves are wise. For ye suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt you, exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak. Howbeit, whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. 
in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is offended, and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king kept the city of Damascus with a garrison desirous to apprehend me. And through a window in the basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. Now for Paul, for the early church, their suffering was running from authorities. A lot of their suffering was running from authorities trying to stay alive. Now, I do believe that they also suffered the things that we suffer. Some of the things, some of the offenses that we have in our day that come from, that come from being part of a body of people. He, he touches on them there in, in the first verses there. In verse 20, For ye suffer, if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. Speaking of the things that we face if a man, if a man challenges us, if we're challenged. The definition of suffering is to undergo or endure pain, injury, loss, etc., what does, what does pain, what does that look like for us today? As I think of what the early church went through, I find myself wondering, you know, do I even suffer? Do I even have any pain? What, I mean, compared to that, what, what is my pain? Well, look at the word pain. What is the difference between pain and suffering? Pain is the physical sensations or signals within your body that tells you something is happening within your body in relation to an event or situation. Suffering is the interpretation or story that you tell yourself about the pain. Thoughts, judgments, beliefs, etc. However, suffering is optional. So I would like to... I would like to um, Look at it a little bit that way this morning. That suffering, I think, is optional. Pain is a part of life. Pain is, is, is a part of us. I found a reading. Now, this was given by a psychologist. It's not... Not... He doesn't go into... He doesn't use scripture to back his points, if you will. But I thought he had, he had a few good points. And he, he looks at pain and suffering and then he calls ba- what, he, what he terms as basic humanity. Now I think basic humanity, the way he talks about basic humanity is probably our, we would look at it more as the results of a born again, of a, of a born again life. I'm not going to read it all, but I'm going to read a few, a few, um, Paragraphs at the beginning here. As a life-saving alarm system, pain keeps us focused on distress for the purpose of relieving it. That is, pain motivates behavior that will help heal, repair, or improve. A pain in your foot, for example, motivates taking the rock off it, getting more comfortable shoes, soaking it in a tub of warm water, or visiting a podiatrist. 
If we do not act on the motivation to heal, repair, or improve, or fail in our attempts to do so, the alarm of pain intensifies and generalizes. The toothache becomes facial pain. The sore foot seems to throb along the whole side of the body. When pain intensifies and generalizes over time, it becomes suffering. Suffering is repeated failure to act on the natural motivation of pain to do something that will heal, repair, or improve. Now we have in Jesus Christ and in the teachings that he gives a hope and a solution for the pain that we, that we face in life. Now looking at the subject, at this subject of suffering, joying in suffering, joying in, in tribulation. We need to understand that if we have faith, kind of look at it like a sandwich if you will. We have faith at the bottom, piece of bread, and then we have the hope at the end that we have. We believe through faith what God did for us and what God will do for us. And then we have this hope. And it's because of that hope, faith in Christ and the hope, that we do these things in the middle of the sandwich. The meat, if you will, and the cheese. The glorying and tribulation brings the... the, the um, being, finding, addressing your, 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 your pain brings patience. It, it grows in us patience. Patience is the state, quality, or fact of being patient. Enduring pain, trouble, etc. without complaint. Calmly tolerating insult, delay, confusion, etc. Showing calm endurance. A diligent persevering. When we face pain in life and we address it and we, and we accept it with joy, if you will, or in the proper way, it brings patience. Glory and tribulation, knowing the tribulation worketh patience. And I'd like to speak a little bit about pain yet and, and just some of the examples Pain is different, I think, for all of us. I'm going to give a few examples um, of, out of my life. And to try to, to, try to um, understand how, how to address the things that come our way in, in, the, proper, in the proper way. And, and what the outcome is if we, if we do that. The first example I'm going to, I'm going to give is the example of the accident that my folks had, and bear with me, I'm going to try to say that I, I um, don't like to speak of this in public because it's hard for me to do so. But I'm going to, by God's grace, give the, give the account. Eleven days and two years ago, I think it was, my folks were driving home from New York where they visit, went to visit my mom's father for his birthday. Her siblings like to get together for a Birthday party for him. I think he turned, I was just talking with Dad this week, I think he turned 90, I want to say 96 or 97 this year. Siblings were all together. Dad didn't go this year. It's, it's naturally hard for him to go now that Mom isn't here. And they were on the way home from that. It was in the evening, I think around 7 o'clock. It was raining. And since the accident, we discovered that Dad's eyesight was not the best. It needed some, it needed some help. He had some procedures done on his eyes to correct that. But he was coming down off 
kind of, they had just crossed the bridge into, into New Jersey there, close to home, maybe 10, 15 minutes from home after I think it's like a four or five hour trip. Come down off the bridge and they were coming down a hill and the road wise there, the right hand lane goes into two over here. There's a, a, a curb in the center where it's a little higher there and the oncoming traffic comes from the left. And as he came down there, it was raining. Dad was tired with his eyesight the way it was. Something happened. He made a mistake. He went to the left into oncoming traffic. Instead of into the right. And they head on with a minivan. Had a, another lady in the minivan. She was not hurt that much. I understood she walked away. Later found out that she did have some, I think, a broken foot or something. But in the impact, mom passed away. I think the, the final result, the autopsy, was she had a ruptured a ruptured um, heart vein, a vein on her heart. It was a heart, heart issue. And she, pa- she passed away, I think, dad feels like on the spot. She had been sleeping a little before that, and dad says he don't think she ever woke up. About a month ago, I talked to dad. This lady that was involved in the accident is now suing him or his insurance company for damages for the pain that she went through and uh, the things that it's caused in her life, some astronomical amount. And he had just come from a meeting with, with the lawyer for his insurance company and her lawyer. My brother, my youngest brother, my brother-in-law, and some of dad's ministry had gone with him to the meeting. And he was telling me about this. And then he said, the lawyer, after they had kind of hashed things out and, and, and talked about where it's all going and whatever, he said he turned to my brother-in-law and my brother and he said, it's almost two years now since this accident. And he said, if any of your children want to sue your dad for what happened, two years is the end. You can't do it after two years. Something that had never crossed my mind. I think it brought untold pain. The pain of losing a mother to all of us children. And we saw dad go through that. And it was very painful for him. But when you think about children taking their dad to the law for something like that to happen. I don't think it's that uncommon in the world that we live in. But can you imagine the suffering that that would bring on? If we would respond to our pain in that way. The suffering that that would bring on. Just an example of what, how pain can turn to suffering. Another example I have is something that happened to us, my wife and I, last week on Friday evening. And I have her permission to share this. Friday was our 11th anniversary. And as those of us know that are in the timber industry, this is a busy time of year for us. And I was out early and um, put my, my day together, tried to cram more into my day than I should have. And I realized about 3 o'clock in the afternoon that I wasn't going to be home very early. Chances are I was going to be home later than what I knew Aurelia had supper planned for. And she was making 
she was going to great lengths to make it an enjoyable time for the family, for the children and us to, to celebrate our 11th anniversary. And I could tell throughout the course of the phone call that it was very disappointing to her. And um, I have this habit of saying when I'm going to be a little late that if everything goes well, I'll make it home by such and such a time. And my wife has come to deal with the fact that that usually means add on an hour, an hour and a half, and to be pretty close. And um, I know I caused her pain when I told her I probably wasn't going to be home very early. If everything goes well, I'll be home by 7, which is the time when we had, which is the latest that I should have been home by. And I could tell she was disappointed. But she dealt with that pain this way. She decided that she was going to set the table nicely. She was going to light the candles. And supper was going to take place with her and the children. And it was going to be enjoyed whether I was there or not. The other option she had was to let the pain turn into suffering. Drop the good plans, the fancy plans for dinner. And just take the children go out to eat. That was an option she had. She didn't do that. She chose to go through with the plans. To prepare the table. To make it nice. And I did my best to get home. And I got home in time and we had, or about on time, and we had a lovely evening together. She had some pain. She had to decide how she was going to deal with. But she didn't suffer because of the pain. When I ask myself, how do we suffer? What are the pains we face in life? Those are some of the things that came to my mind. Some of the things that we face, that I face. Choices that we have with pain in our lives to either suffer through it or make the best of it. Joy in tribulation. And when we do that, it, it brings patience. Another, another, um, and now this is more, we ask the question sometimes, why suffering? Why does, why does God let suffering happen? Why do things happen to people? Um, an example of things that happen to people, this is another story from my dad. I was speaking to him, I think, last week. Over the last weekend, my father works at a market, uh, a produce market. And um, his manager is a young man. I think he said his name is Brian. I may be off in the name, I'm not sure. He's 19 years old and he manages the produce market, the, the stand at the produce market where my, where my dad works. There's probably, I don't know, 8, 10, maybe a dozen people that work there. But Dad's testimony about Brian is he's a very responsible young man. And last weekend, he was at a wedding. There was a wedding there. I think he had someone to do with an acquaintance from work there. Brian and another family from Dad's church there, they went to the wedding. And it was a wedding of the people that were, are from some other country that were putting the wedding on. So it was a little bit of a different wedding. Now, Brian has a peanut allergy. And he's very allergic to tree nuts. Actually, not a nut allergy, not peanuts necessarily, but tree nuts. 
And he was, at mealtime at this wedding, he was taking what he thought was a meatball, and it turned out to be meat made of almonds, I think Dad said, or almonds or pecans or something. And he, took, and he knew, as soon as he took the first bite, that he was in trouble. He felt his, his lips um, were swelling, and he was in trouble. His allergy was going, to give him, was going to give him some issues, but he hadn't had a reaction since, I think Dad said, I think since he was six or eight years old. So he wasn't carrying an EpiPen. And they put it out over the loudspeaker if anyone had, if anyone had an EpiPen that he could have take the shot and get some relief from this. The only thing that they'd come up with was a dose for a child. Well, he gave himself that, but it didn't really, it didn't really do the trick. And when he, when he left, he left with the, the youth from the other family from Dad's church that was there, and he continued to get worse. He got to the point where he could hardly breathe. So they pulled over along the highway and called the ambulance. The ambulance came, picked him up, and they were on the way to the hospital. They were taking, taking him to the hospital, and Dad said the... The, the man, the EMT working on him in the back of the ambulance had just told the driver that he needs to hurry up, that this, this young man needs help. Apparently they didn't have in the ambulance what they needed to, to be able to help him. And they were going through a red light and they were hit, if I understood the story correctly, they were hit in the side by another vehicle. The man working on the patient ended up in the front of the ambulance. He had a head wound. He was bleeding. He was not in good shape. And the driver of the ambulance was injured as well. So all told, a few more ambulances show up, and off to the hospital they go. They finally got, they finally got him some, some help. He made it through. He survived. They finally got him some help. They gave him a shot, an EpiPen shot, I guess, or whatever they give for that. And Dad said he said when he gave that shot, he could just feel the, the pressure coming off his chest. He could actually breathe again. And I give that as an example of bad things that happen. Pain happens in life. We're going to need to deal with it. I have a list of questions here and a reading that I'm going to read yet in closing. The reading is an article written by Charles Hall. He's the dean at International Programs. And he, it is his theme for this reading is Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. He says, When my oldest son was five years old, I picked him up from his Sunday school class and asked him what he learned that morning. He said, I learned about Jesus dying. Can you tell me more, I asked. Well, he said, Jesus got tired of being stuck in a cave, so he pushed the door open and his mother Mary hit him on the head with a wooden cross and killed him. After picking myself off the floor, I first made sure that his Sunday school teacher was indeed a competent teacher. She was. And then I spent time making sure he knew the real story of how Jesus died. Once he got it right, he then asked, Is that how the story ends? Jesus dies? You see, even a five-year-old hopes the story doesn't end with suffering and death. The Easter story is a story of hope. Have you noticed that so many of the stories of the Bible are filled with pain and suffering? From the very beginning, we learn that the earth suffers, Israel suffers, the great men and women of faith suffer, and then God himself suffers through Jesus. The short view of the biblical narrative is this, to live is to suffer, but that's not how the story ends. The long view is this, but out of suffering comes life. 
At the heart of our own story is the hope that our pain and disappointments are not the end of the story. We hope to raise a great family, wonderful children, have a long life. And then the doctor says, the policeman knocks, the letter comes. I have great dreams, wonderful plans, and then I lose my job. I've been hoping. And then this habit that I just can't seem to shake has got me in its grip. And now the hope is gone. The life that you live will flow out of the story you believe you're living. So if you believe the short view of your story, that my story is defined by the misery and disappointment I'm facing right now, then my life will be defined by that short view. But all stories have an ending. This is the long view. And here's where the story of the resurrection intersects with the longer view of your life. Suffering is only a portion of the story. Suffering is the short view. Suffering only defines a part of Jesus' life. The story doesn't end with a suffering crucified God. Death doesn't get the last word. The end of the story is this. Our pain and suffering are no more. Our brokenness is redeemed. Our mistakes are forgiven. The old becomes new. And out of death comes life. Hallelujah. There's a list of questions here. I asked God to take away my pain. God said, no. It is not for me to take away, but for you to give up. I asked God to make my handicapped child whole. God said, no. Her spirit was whole. Her body was only temporary. I asked God to grant me patience. God said, no. Patience is a byproduct of tribulations. It isn't granted. It is earned. I asked God to give me happiness. God said, no. I give you blessings. Happiness is up to you. I asked God to spare me pain. God said, no. Suffering draws you apart from worldly cares and brings you closer to me. I asked God to make my spirit grow. God said, no. You must grow on your own, but I will prune you to make you fruitful. I asked God for all things that I might enjoy life. God said, no. I give you life so that you may enjoy all things. I asked God to help me love others as much as he loves me. God said, ah, Finally, you have the idea. For a closing scripture, turn with me to John chapter 14. I'm going to read this, cha- this chapter. It is a promise. It is the hope that we have in Jesus. A promise that Jesus gives. Beginning at verse... 15, John chapter 14, verse 15 to the end. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live. Ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in, the, in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Judah saith unto him, Not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and he will come in unto him, and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, 
being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye love me, you would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father. For my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it came to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. But the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, even so do I. Arise, let us go hence. If you can, let's kneel for prayer. Dear Lord, we come before this new hour. We thank you for this day that you have given us. We thank you for the opportunity to... We thank you, first of all, for your word and for your promise. We thank you, Father, for giving us life through your Son, Jesus. And we just pray that you would strengthen our faith as we live this life, that we could find somehow the connection between faith and hope and joying and tribulation and the patience that that brings. Pray that that could be real for us this coming week. I pray that you would bless each one for coming out today. But you would go with us as we go from here. Ask these favors and blessings in your name according to your will. Amen.